Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts, Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Hey everybody, welcome back. I'm Lucas. We got Chris and Uriah here and a, a very special guest, a recurring special guest, Noah Levick of NBCS Sports Philly. Noah, glad to have you back, man. What's going on? Hey guys, yeah, thanks for having me back on. I appreciate it. Yeah, Noah, we're, we're really excited to have you back to talk some more uh Sixers, yeah, we really, we really appreciate you coming on. We're going to start with the Sixers-Pacers game from Tuesday night. Noah, that was a loss for Philadelphia. Obviously, broken eight-game winning streak. Final score was 103-94. to A game that early on looked like it was going to go Philadelphia's way, despite the absence of Joel Embiid, who was out for a non-COVID illness, as well as the absence of guys like Furkan Korkmaz. But Indiana had a really strong second half. The Sixers, not so much. They only scored, I believe, 32 points in that second half. A pretty poor showing offensively. Um, What were some of your big takeaways from that game? Yeah, um, only scoring two points in the final five minutes. uh, Obviously not good for the Sixers. thought Ben Simmons was great uh, all around in the first half. even made a couple... Fadeaway jumpers in the game. Uh, I thought Tyrese Maxey was, again, impressive overall, uh, getting a chance to play somewhat extended minutes, given those injuries you mentioned. Uh, but yeah, the the half-court offense lingers, I think, as a potential concern for the Sixers come the postseason. Uh, multiple folks who talked after the game just mentioned uh, this idea that they weren't getting stops, they weren't forcing turnovers, and therefore didn't have transition opportunities uh, and the Sixers had to rely on their half court offense down the stretch and it didn't go well. But to be fair, you know, this is a rare occasion where they've lost a a close game. They've often found ways to win heading into uh, Tuesday night. They were 25 and eight in situations defined as clutch, which is the final five minutes of games where the uh, point differential is five points or fewer. Uh, and yeah, last night was a, a rare occasion where Tobias Harris uh, wasn't scoring in isolation and in the post, and none of the jumpers anyone was putting up for the Sixers were falling. So uh, they miss out on an opportunity to seal a number one seed, but I think overall, you know, should still feel pretty good about the position they're in, and we'll have another chance to clinch that on Thursday night in Miami. You got some great points there. Agree with all of them. A couple other notes that I want to make, though. I know this is going to make Uriah happy when I mention this. There were two mid-range jumpers from Ben, one in the first half, one in the second half, if I'm not mistaken. And they were in rhythm. They were off the dribble again. Uh, he, the the second one I particularly remember, he did some pivoting before he went for that jumper, and it was a fadeaway. And that was a great sign for Ben. I wish he would do that more with Joel in the game, but offensively Ben was you know aggressive he had I believe 20 points seven assists nine of 16 shooting from the uh, field so great game from Ben in that respect Uh, Tobias he had a little hard night shooting you know 11 of 24 not terrible not great it just like you said Noah the half quarter offense in the last five minutes of the game really stalled Uh, they were missing not only Joel but they were missing Shake Milton as well who are basically their two best half-court players, you know, scoring the, well, not two best because you have to bias, but two out of the three best half-court scoring players missing. 
Uriah brought this up uh, prior to us get, coming on the air, but Mike Scott played at the end of that game and defensively struggling uh, with Dwight on the bench. Granted, Dwight was having some bonehead moments here and there towards the end of that game. But the positives is, is that you saw really good growth from both Isaiah Joe and Tyrese Maxey in that game. Joe, in 11 minutes, had five points. A steal was 50% shooting from the three-point line. Maxey, 11 points in 17 minutes. He had some really good plays. Had some really good blo- He had two blocks in that game. And I remember, uh, no, I don't know if you were the one that tweeted this, but somebody tweeted that Maxi said that he's been picking Matisse Thibel's brain about how to play defense. And you saw that with that behind the back uh, block uh, while I forget who was shooting it, but somebody was shooting that mid-range jumper and he got him right at the foul line from behind. I think, was it Justin Holiday in that game? Does anybody remember? I think that might be right. But uh, yeah, no, you're, you're correct. He's mentioned that a couple times. Side note here, though, got to give a shout out to former Sixers. TJ McConnell had 10 points, six and six, actually only one assist. Wow. And three turnovers. Well, at least he scored the ball. But uh, Justin Holiday, another former Sixer, had 16 points. And Jakar Sampson, four minutes. So uh, that's all I have. I have to step in and say no more shout outs to TJ. We've moved on from TJ. <laughs> We have ne- we can never move on, Uriah. No, we we have never to. forget. He is never the forget. he is the enemy now, and he is he never is forget. the the leader in in steals in the league, and he's preventing Matisse Thibel from getting that crown. So I'm mad at TJ. I'm I'm moved on. I'm moved uh, on. You can move on. I won't. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's kind of interesting that the top three players in steals, and uh, it's like TJ, Jimmy, and Matisse. They're all either on the Sixers or former Sixers, um, but. And that, I think you guys really covered all the big points from this game. I, I think Isaiah Joe's 10 minutes were pretty pretty promising. I, I really like the young guys on this team. Tyrese, you know, Paul, obviously, everyone who listens to this podcast knows I'm a pretty big fan of, of Paul Reed. Um, and, and I'm a big fan of Isaiah Joe, too. I think all three of those guys are players. I think all three of them are going to be in the rotation at some point in the future, either next season or the season afterwards in that, that range. And as far as this game goes, you know, a, a pretty decent Tobias game, given the circumstances, at least, you know, on the scorecard. Not the best Danny Green night, struggled a bit on defensively, had some lapses there. Um, Mike Scott playing 26 minutes, even when Embiid is out, is not what I would consider ideal. Um, George Hill had, had some moments, one of his better games, I guess, statistically as a sixer, but I, I really agree with all the points that you guys made. Guys, Chris is not joking about how much he is a ball, Paul Reed fan. His name for this uh, this conference call that we have is Beatball Chris. So he is a major Beatball Paul fan. But let's go ahead and move on. Breaking news, Sixers fans. This public service announcement is brought to you by Manscaped.com. The Manscaped engineering team has confirmed that they have successfully created the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. Their advanced ceramic blade and skin-safe technology is so good that it almost seems as if Manscaped work with Elon Musk's engineers to ensure that your family jewels are as safe as possible. What makes this trimmer so different than other trimmers? First, a new multi-function on-off switch can engage a travel lock created for people who like to travel. Next, the optimized Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer is waterproof, so you can groom in the shower and not have to worry about making a mess on the bathroom floor. Did I mention charging? The Lawnmower 4.0's new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help battery length last longer. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer just for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. That's FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. And now, back to the podcast. We're going to, get in, going to get into some injuries. Here's some of the players that are going to be out. I'm going to ask you guys, Noah, first, how they're going to impact the Sixers when they, if they possibly match up with these teams. The Celtics are primarily missing Jalen Brown. He will be out with a wrist injury for the rest of the year. Victor Oladipo was just, uh, he went out for surgery on his leg for the rest of the year. TJ Warren, I believe that's a foot injury. I'm not 100% sure, but I think he's out for the rest of the year. Mitchell Robinson, though I will say New Orleans Noel has been doing a great job in his place. He is out for the Knicks for the rest of the year. 
And then James Harden, he is coming back from a hamstring injury, but it is unknown how long Kyrie Irving is going to be out because he just suffered a facial injury from Nikola Vucevic's elbow last night. So that's the problem for the Nets. They can't; their stars can't seem to stay healthy. Noah, how do you think any of these injuries will impact the Sixers in a postseason run? I think obviously uh, Jalen Brown. That's that's a huge injury. So should the Sixers meet Celtics in the first round, uh, that potential matchup obviously looks a lot easier on paper. The Pacers uh, were shorthanded for this most recent game. The Sixers were as well, and that's been the circumstances in a lot of matchups this season. Uh, just a very unusual year, trying to jam all these games into a short schedule. And there have been uh, a lot of games with both teams far below 100% as a result. Uh, yeah, Mitchell Robinson's a player I pers- personally like a lot. But as you said, uh, Nerlens Noel is is a quite capable uh, center. And the Knicks, uh, I think, are a classic hard-to-play-against team uh, in the postseason. I think... All of these teams you mentioned, um, besides Brooklyn, the Sixers would be favored to win against in a playoff series. Uh, yeah, as far as the Nets, there's been uncertainty there all year, whether they will be able to gel when the postseason arrives and uh, whether their three stars will hold be healthy simultaneously. So uh, I think those remain you know, lingering questions on the table. I think for the you know neutral fan, it would be great to see uh, a Sixers-Nets conference finals where both teams are 100% healthy, but we just don't know yet uh, whether that's actually going to happen. So, um, yeah, hoping for the best for all the players who are injured with the shot of returning this season. And uh, unfortunate with some of those names you mentioned, um, that they are out for the rest of the year. Obviously, for the Sixers, uh, Joel Embiid's health is paramount. Uh, and you know, as of now, he uh, still has his health intact, you know, outside of this recent non-COVID illness that he uh, has been dealing with. And the Sixers will hope uh, that remains the case throughout the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, like you said, no, just generally pretty unfortunate. The volume of injuries that we've had to endure as NBA fans this season, and you know, the players obviously are the ones enduring that. As far as the Sixers go, I, I do think Jalen Brown and James Harden are probably the two most notable names. There's a very real chance that Boston ends up in the eighth seed, depending on how the play-in tournament goes. That, that could be a first-round matchup. Obviously, them not having Jalen Brown would be a pretty big detriment, but the Sixers would be favored either way, as you mentioned. Um, I think Harden's the biggest one, just because he'll have time to ramp up before the postseason. And, you know, there, it was generally expected that he would be back before, you know, like a conference finals per se. But him getting a few extra regular season games under his belt is, I'm sure, very helpful just so he can get into some rhythm before the playoffs. It doesn't look like Irving's uh, facial contusion or whatever it's listed as is going to be serious or long lasting. So hypothetically, Brooklyn should have their big three probably by the first round, if not before the first round here in the regular season. So I, I do think that's pretty notable. We've talked about on this pod in the past that Hearn's probably their most important player, if not their best player, though I may argue he is their best player. So him being back is certainly big news for the NBA at large and, and big news, obviously, for the Sixers, who, if they want to make it to the NBA Finals, will more than likely have to make it to the Brooklyn Nets. So you guys make some really good points. I'm just going to go through here real quick. With the Celtics, I think the Celtics are in the exact same situation that the Sixers were last postseason. They're without their second best player like we were with Ben. Now they're without Jalen. They have a poor team constructed around their stars because their GM didn't do a good job in capitalizing on the assets that they had. Sound familiar? So the Celtics, honestly, and I'm uh, this might be a little bit of a hot take, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't win the play-in tournament because they're in the play-in tournament right now. I could see them not even making that because they've been that bad, to be honest. I think I think that it's not a complete crazy thing to say that. Oladipo, he wasn't really positive on the Miami when he was there. Obviously, he was hurt when he was playing, so this is the best bet for him. He needs to try to do what he can in free agency. The Knicks, like I said, Norland's Noel... More than capable. Statistically, Noel's been one of the best defenders this season. Obviously, he's not quite that good. 
but he is in a very good defensive center. I, I'm not going to deny that. And then the Nets, that's the big one here. Do they have enough time to get their themselves back into rhythm and then learn how to play with each other at an elite championship level? I don't know if that's going to be the case. I don't know how long Kyrie's going to be out. If they don't have that time or something else happens, you know, this could be trouble for the Nets. And honestly, when teams like these are formed, it doesn't usually equal a championship right away. I think the the uh, the Golden State Warriors were the lone exception, but when we see it, or like maybe the Boston Celtics where everything went perfect for them, but like most times, like with LeBron James, for example, his teams never, he made super teams in the past, but they never won it the first year, so. Yeah, I mean, I, I will just say on, on a couple of your notes, I, I, I think the Celtics are going to probably win at least one of the play-in tournament sections. I don't think they're going to drop out of the top eight. You know, Indiana and Chicago and Charlotte don't really pose much of a threat. They still have more talent and depth than those teams, um, even without Brown. You know, the Nets are, I, I frankly don't know if chemistry matters that much with them. I, I think they just have such a serious talent advantage there offensively. You know, in the defense is a concern, especially against, Philly and, and even Milwaukee, given the size of those two teams. But I, I think the Nets are still pretty clear favorites. We're going to move on now and talk about Doc Rivers and a recent quote that he had. I'll, I'll read it out. Quote, we will not blink at playing 11 guys if we need to in the postseason. I feel like we're that deep. We're that talented. Noah, what are your initial reactions to that quote obviously that's a pretty bold statement most teams shorten up the rotation come playoff time I don't know if Doc is saying he'll go 11 deep always I don't think that's what he's saying but what are your thoughts on the Sixers depth and how willing Doc is seemingly to to make use of that depth yeah just listening to him talk on this subject over the last couple weeks that's not how I heard it either as saying uh, we will, you know, be playing eleven guys every night. I think it's more he feels decent about the idea of okay, if the situation dictates it, I have six guys off my bench who are playable. I think it's somewhat reasonable to say. I mean, you got the Sixers have their four main guys in uh, George Hill, uh, Dwight Howard. Um, Shake Milton and Matisse Thibel. And then I think the way I see it right now, you have uh, Furkan Korkmaz and Tyrese Maxey as kind of potential fringe situational sort of players. Uh, so I, I don't think it's a delusional assessment of the situation. I do think Rivers is obviously biased in the way he sees his bench and he likes his guys and is prone to talking them up when he talks with us reporters, and I think that's all fair enough. Uh, as far as how things actually play out in the playoffs, it's going to be really curious to see because, as you mentioned, he hasn't really trimmed things down in any drastic way, and he hasn't given any indication that he plans to do so. Uh, I think a lot of his decisions, uh, based on what I can tell, are going to be governed by gut feel and matchups and just what he feels uh, is the best fit on a given night. Uh, and I, I don't know, I, I would be surprised if that means 11 players, you know, appearing any more than in maybe one, you know, close playoff game, but uh, I don't think it's out of the question. Uh, but the way I see things right now, um, there are pretty clear first four off the Sixers bench, uh, and then there are other pieces that Doc Rivers sees as, you know, potentially being able to help. I think you make a really good point there. I think it is going to be matchup dependent because we saw even in that Pelicans game where Maxie didn't play, even though Maxie had had a good string of, you know, playing, getting minutes, and then Mike Scott stepped in because the the matchups dictated because they had uh, Wendell Gabriel and uh, Jackson Hayes coming off the bench. They were just too big to have that all-guard lineup with Dwight. So I think that's where you're going to see it. Uh, you know, you got your main guys, you got Dwight, you have George Hill, you have Shake, you have Corkmaz, and actually you have really five already with, um, if you include, yeah, you obviously include Matisse. 
I do think at this point, just based off the fact that he has improved a little bit on defense with Cork Maz and the fact that his offensive game has been really good this year, that he's going to be able to shore in for that rotation. Uh, and then I think the, that 11th guy is really matchup dependent, but I could see them going five or six deep in a, you know, off the bench because he's done it before. I don't know if you guys remember the Boston Celtics run in 08, uh, but he definitely went 10 deep in there and he went 10 deep with the Clippers before uh, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard went there in that rebuilding year. So it, the, he will heavily rely on his bench. He has no problem doing that, sometimes to a fault, but he, he will do it. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think he'll do it every series, obviously. Like you said, I think it's more or less matchup dependent, but in some games, yeah, he could go 11 deep if he wants to see a different look for sure. I think it's definitely matchup dependent. Obviously, like if we're playing Charlotte in the first round, you can much more comfortably go with 10 guys and maybe have some all bench groups and, and still win that series comfortably. If you're playing Brooklyn or Milwaukee, you're going to want to tighten up the bench a little more. You're going to have Joel and Ben and Tobias all playing probably 35, 40 minutes a night at least, like like bare minimum. So it, it will depend on what stage we are at in the postseason. But like you said, Noah, I think the core of this bench is pretty clear. I think that's what he's probably going to stick to. But, I mean, I mean, I think the 11th guy is pretty clearly Tyrese with how he's been playing lately. And they're obviously going to be, you know, if the offense is struggling, if they need, a, you know, something to, to spark the offense a little bit, if things are getting stagnant, you bring in someone like Maxi who can get into the teeth of the defense, speed things up a bit in the half court, get some easy shots at the rim, maybe create for others on the three-point line. You, you, you put him in for a few minutes. I, I, I think that's really what he's alluding to. I don't think he's going to play 11 guys every night and have a, a measured out even six-man bench rotation. I just don't think that's reasonable or something he would consider. So I, I do think, you know, that context is important for evaluating this statement. But I, I tend to agree that, you know, there are 11 usable players on this team. So, Chris, I, I was on the phone with a, a Brooklyn fan, actually a good friend of mine who's from Brooklyn. And he asked me, did I really think the Sixers have a shot this year? I said, absolutely. And the reason why is because of the topic we're talking about right now. We are a deep team. A year ago, going into the season or just when we were in the draft, no one knew that these rookies would turn out the way they, they would, except for B-Ball Paul. He still has a lot to prove. Shots fired, Chris. But anyway, uh, Maxi is definitely someone who could see minutes in the playoffs. I'm not saying he's going to save the day or go off for 20 or 30, but I think Doc having the option to go to him to get that spark off the bench to give you more of an offensive punch. Um, I guess to compare to, let's say, TJ a couple years ago against Boston when he gave that defensive punch. But I like it, guys. I like the depth, and I agree with what, what everybody said. Doc is not really saying that he's going to play it, but I think Noah was right. It's just having that option is, is something to look forward to. For sure. I Yeah, you, you, you make solid points there, Uriah. But let's go ahead and shift gears here for a moment. I want to talk about the recent news from Philadelphia Mayor McKinney, uh, sorry, Kinney, and uh, who announced that the Sixers will be able to host 50% capacity inside the Wells Fargo Center to begin playoffs, and then 100%, assuming that the Sixers are playing into June. How important is this 50% and the 100% at that point, Noah? It's been fascinating being able to cover these games at Wells Fargo Center throughout the season, uh, which started with zero fans in attendance, uh, kind of this eerie atmosphere in some ways and bizarre in situations where you had Joel Embiid you know, scoring a career-high 50 points and kind of preening for the fans, only there were no fans there. And now they've been ramping it up, and I think it's been around 4,000-ish uh, most recently. Uh, 10,000 will be a significant jump. Uh, these fans are loud and they make an impact. And the Sixers have been excellent um, in front of their home fans uh, in recent years. So I do think it makes a difference. I'm not sure uh, it swings anything dramatically for the Sixers, but it's another uh, minor benefit of assuming they you know get the job done here. Uh, securing the first seed in the East, just having that home court advantage 
throughout the playoffs. Uh, full capacity will be a, a very, very uh, substantial change from, you know, zero fans at the start of the season. I think it almost might, you know, might be a bit of an adjustment for some of these players who have gotten acclimated to kind of the sound of the gym when no one's there, the sound and feel of the gym when there are 4,000 people there, and then 20,000 fans, um, you know, for whatever the Eastern Conference Finals or NBA Finals, that'll be a massive difference. Uh, so I'm I'm very curious to see what exactly that looks and feels like. All I know is it'll be very loud and intense, and it'll be a difficult place to play for opposing teams, as it always is. Yeah, I, I agree with the loud and intense part. I think a lot of people have some pent-up energy, given you know that they've spent the last year inside, so I'm sure it would be a pretty raucous atmosphere. Obviously, as you mentioned, Noah, the Sixers have traditionally in recent years been extremely good at home in front of their fans. They have one of the stronger home court advantages in the NBA, um, you know, the fans are pretty infamous in anywhere you go at this point. So I, it obviously helps in that regard. I, I don't, like you said, I don't know if it's going to swing anything substantially. I'm not, you know, I wasn't like, oh, now that we're going to have fans in the building, they'll beat Brooklyn. I don't think it's anything like that, but it, it certainly will help. It will be fun even for those of us viewing at home i think it's always enjoyable to watch you know a full stadium in a playoff atmosphere on on tv even i'm sure it'll be fun for everyone who's who's in the building so definitely a a positive yeah no you guys make some really good points i believe i heard somewhere and i i can't remember if it was mark zoom off on a you know calling a game or if it was like max uh, kellerman from first take but one of those two guys said that um, the Sixers have had the best home record in the past two seasons, and I wouldn't doubt that for sure. Uh, having home court, the Sixers have some of the most raucous fans in all fandom. Not a surprising that um, that obviously the Sixers fans would have an impact on you know the outcome of games for sure, especially if they start doing Dwight makes a three. I think that would be great. But no, serious note though. Yeah, no, I think it, it does make an impact because, I mean, Phillies fans are loud and the more you have, the more it's going to make an impact on a game for sure. So I think that could be, you know, especially if we can clinch this home court advantage, which we're one game away from, if we can do that, then yeah, the Sixers, uh, you know, that will help in a, a series like against the Bucks or uh, the Nets. I think that makes a big difference for sure. Hey, Noah, I have a question since you're in the building for these games, there's memes going around where you see during the game, obviously Sixers home games, you have Dwight Howard and let's say Joel Embiid or Dwight Howard and Ben Simmons. And they're looking up at the stands and they're laughing and they're pointing and it's multiple pictures, not just from one game. Do you have any idea, Noah, what, what that's about? That's actually a good question. Um, I'll have to, I'll have to kind of zero <laughs> in on that. There's a you... lot going on in the Sixers pregame routine. It's very <laughs> elaborate. There's, okay. a, there's a there's a part where Dwight Howard is like drawing everyone's attention to Embiid and kind of hyping him up. There's okay. a part where there's sort of a mosh pit. Uh, there's a part in the layup lines where one person gets selected for kind of a, a spotlight dunk. Um, so there, there's a ton that goes into the whole pregame routine, and I have a lot of fun. Um, I'll have to keep an eye on that though for for next. Please time. do. Yeah, please I'll, do that. I think that's one of the most one of the most endearing things about this team. It's just a fun team, and I think Dwight Howard proved us all wrong. At least me, I, I was a little skeptical, but he brings an element to this team that it adds a little chemistry, a little character, some uniqueness in terms of just being a little bit more laid back and and not as, as serious. So, you bring up a good point. First off, with pregame routines, my favorite one is seeing Rajon Tucker dunk because the kid, kid should be in the slam dunk oh, contest. Oh, yeah. I agree. It's, it's, it's absolutely crazy, Noah. I'm sure you've seen it. The guy has hops. Um, oh, yeah. The second thing that I want to bring up is that I find, you know, I just, while you guys were talking about Dwight, I just had the epiphany here. The Sixers have the two most goofiest centers on their roster right now with Dwight and Joel. I didn't even think about that until you guys were talking about because you know how fun Joel is. And then Dwight has been a character since he was in Orlando. So 
it's it's funny how you know you have these two guys where Joel's really focused in this season as like this kind of like monster in the paint and Dwight has become the opposite of what he was labeled as a locker room cancer now he's a a solid veteran that the younger players and you know role players can lean on so that's I find that interesting just a side note there Dwight Howard in general yeah is a fascinating guy who's had an incredibly unique career and I actually asked him uh, before the season kind of something similar to what you were talking about, just the notion of being seen as kind of goofy or or not super serious. And he said he thought with Embiid, a lot of it was just a perception thing, Uh, just, you know, people not being aware of the way someone approaches the game behind the scenes and all of that. Um, which which I thought was interesting perspective. And I think there's probably some truth to that. You know, we see the public persona, but there's only so much judgment you can pass without knowing exactly what someone is doing, you know, 24 uh, seven. It seems like as far as the locker room presence and the team that that's all worked out very well so far. He's, I think, enjoyed taking the younger guys under his wing and can kind of relate to them in some ways because he has this youthful, energetic spirit, you know, spirit about him, but just also has the experience of all these NBA seasons and these deep playoff runs and this time where he was one of the few best players in the league. Uh, and now he's a, a backup center and embracing that role. So uh, it has worked well on the off-court side. I'm still not so sure how things are going to pan out on court in the playoffs just because the on-court pairing with Ben Simmons has been pretty poor overall, just when those two guys play together. You know, as far as Dwight on the second unit, that's worked decently, and the second unit seems to have decent chemistry for the Sixers, but uh, you do wonder whether uh, Dwight Howard will be playable, you know, in every single playoff game, or whether there will be situations where another team has a stretch five sort of backup center and Dwight Howard isn't able to rebound and score at a high enough level to compensate uh, what he's giving up defensively. Uh, So we shall see um, what he does in the playoffs, but uh, his most recent playoffs experience was an excellent one, and I'm sure the Sixers would love um, if he could replicate that uh, this year. For sure, man, and that was some great insight. Very much appreciated all that. I was a Dwight fan when I was a little kid, so I appreciate that insight. One other thing that I'm going to touch on on this topic before we switch gears is that this is the last time the Sixers held the number one seed in the playoffs. They got to the NBA Finals. As of today, how likely do you think it is that they will repeat that and end up playing for a championship this year? Yeah, it's it's a tough one. I think this season is especially unpredictable because of The injuries we talked about earlier and the limited time teams have had to play with their healthy rosters and the limited time teams have had to just hold practices, frankly. For me, I still, as Chris talked about, think Brooklyn is extremely talented and would be a tough team to play in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where I put the odds numerically, but I think the Sixers... Uh, This is most definitely their best chance in in 20 years to return, just given how well things have broken for them with the home court advantage and the fact that Brooklyn hasn't had a ton of time to play their superstars together and and all of that. Uh, So I I think I'd give them a a decent chance, much more than a puncher's chance. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where I'd put it numerically, but I think pretty much in any series besides a matchup against the Knicks, uh, the Sixers should be the team that is is favored in all likelihood. I I agree. No, I think there's certainly a real chance they have the talent and the circumstances, you know, favorably. The number one seed is pretty favorable path to at least the conference finals this year. So they have certainly put themselves in a position to make a real run. I I mean, like just statistically, it's. It's it's not likely. It's probably below 50% just because you have Brooklyn, you have Milwaukee, who if they do somehow beat the Nets, I think are still a very real threat to Philadelphia. I, I don't know if I would just straight up call the Sixers favorites, even if the Bucks win that series. Um, 
I, I think Milwaukee is right on their level. So they, they'll have to go through a, a very tough opponent, at least in the conference finals, but they certainly have the tools to, to compete and make a run. I, I, I don't know if I'll, I won't put it numerically, but like, like you said, no, it, it's tough, but it's certainly a very real possibility. That's, that's, uh, I think you guys make a fair point. I think the Nets are the biggest obstacle. I, I have the Sixers favored in every matchup as well. Uh, no, I know Chris has the Bucks favored uh, between the two, but I, I have the Sixers favored in every matchup except for the Nets if the Nets are completely healthy. But if they're not or the chemistry doesn't look right, I think the Sixers have more than a puncher's chance to come out of that series. Um, so I would put – I will say they have – about a, if I'm putting a number on it, I'd say a solid 50% chance. Hey, Lucas, I'm I'm dropping some coins on the Sixers. I was living in Hampton, Virginia when the last time they were in the finals. I think they can take it all the way. But if the question is, will they get to the finals and play in the championship to represent the East? I'm putting money on it. I'm not mentioning any sporting sites, any betting sites, because we're not getting sponsored by them. But I feel good. I feel great about this season. If we play Brooklyn, hey, just put Matisse on Kyrie. Put Ben on Harden and T- Tobias. I think he'll – no one's going to stop Durant, but I think he can hold his own. And everybody else on the Brooklyn is old, and I don't know, just they can't deal with the depth of the Sixers. So, yeah, I, I feel good about this championship run we got, guys. I, I do think the window is uniquely open and perhaps more open than it will be again. Um, obviously, Brooklyn has had very little chance to actually play their stars together this season. Um, I don't know if their injury problems will get better going forward because all their stars are reaching an age where it may become a persistent issue, but they will probably next season play more than seven games or whatever it is together. So I, I do think the Nets are uniquely vulnerable this season. The Bucks obviously have not been as historically dominant as they have been the past couple of seasons, though I do think the Drew Holiday addition changes the chemistry there quite a bit in their favor. But the window is very much open, and I would not be confident that it would be this open again. Even the West, you know, the Lakers are having a an atypically poor season given the players on that roster. The path to winning it all is is very much there for Philadelphia, so they they have a real chance. I don't know if I would favor them, but it, it's possible, one hundred percent. Yeah, fifty percent sounds very high to, high to me, but uh, strong points there by by Chris. Absolutely, um, I think with the Bucks too, there's just this there's some unknown there with them because they've done a lot of experimentation this year and maybe sacrificed some of their recent regular season success for that. So sort of changing the structure of their, their offense and, and changing things up more defensively and giving Giannis more time on, on star players and, and some of these adjustments uh, all with the playoffs in mind, which I think is all smart thinking by Mike Budenholzer and the Milwaukee staff. Uh, and at least, you know, in terms of the, the recent history, uh, Milwaukee fared well against the Sixers, you know, who were dealing with uh, some injuries, but, you know, heading into a potential series there, they would have uh, some confidence and they're, they're not an easy out for sure. Yeah, Brooklyn is not the only, you know, very formidable team uh, in the Eastern Conference. I think Milwaukee very much is in that same tier. Um, uh, those three teams, though, have separated themselves, uh, I think. The Knicks uh, we've talked about as a, a potential tough out and can't forget the Miami Heat, the defending Eastern Conference champions who have a, a gritty uh, leader that they love in Jimmy Butler and have a you know, very uh, multi-purpose threat kind of player in Bam Adebayo. But uh, the Sixers are one of the top three teams in the East and should feel pretty good about their chances to beat anyone they play in the series. I think that's that's probably fair to say. Yeah, we're we're going to move on now and talk about some stats, just in general stats about the Sixers. Noah, we're going to talk. Basically, I'm going to give you a couple of stats. I'm going to ask you which is more surprising to you, and then I'm going to ask you for how you think that particular stat will impact their postseason. So the first pairing here is 
The Sixers are 10th worst in the league in turnovers at 14.6 per game, and they are 24th in the league in assists at 23.4 per game. Which of those stats surprises you more? Um, I, I honestly wouldn't say that either is a huge surprise. I maybe would have expected them to be a little better with the turnovers, but uh, to be fair, it's a, it's a new coach and a new system and a new way of playing. I do think it's important to mention there, uh, this is for cleaning the glass, which, which factors out garbage time, that the Sixers are number three in opponent's turnover percentage, which is a huge improvement from number 22 last year. So I think that mitigates some of the turnover issues. And then it's also encouraging that Joel Embiid this year has a career low turnover percentage. So the team's highest usage player is doing a much better job of taking care of the ball and making smart decisions uh, out of the post. I think the low, uh, the low number of assists, you know, relative to maybe some of the other contenders is just a product of the way they play. You know, a lot of isolations and post-ups for guys like Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris, and therefore you're maybe not going to get quite as many assists. Um, I do wonder whether turnovers will be an Achilles heel again, the way they were sometimes under Brett Brown, you know, whether there's a game where Ben Simmons has six or seven costly turnovers and it ultimately leads to the Sixers uh, losing a playoff game. Um, So definitely something to monitor down the line. And the Sixers would hope that Simmons is someone who will continue to push the pace for them uh, while also taking reasonable care of the ball. For me, it's the assist numbers. You know, you have somebody like Ben Simmons. And granted, I think he's not, I mean, he's doing a lot of offensive things, you know, initiating the offense and, you know, getting open three-pointers. But I don't know. I expected, you know, if he's not going to be as aggressive scoring, I was hoping that he'd be more aggressive as a playmaker. And it's been the opposite this season. So the assist numbers being down. I mean, yeah, we saw a little bit more point to bias, which I'm all for. But, um... You know, overall, I you know, Shake Mellon's not really a playmaker. George Hill's still recovering from the thumb rehab, which I I I don't think needs it hasn't been talked about enough. I think that's part of the reason why his production as a whole's been down. But you know, he's coming back from that. Tyrese Maxey's not really a playmaker. Outside of Ben, you don't have another true point guard because even Hill was more of a combo guard even in his prime. So you know, like, and I'm not saying that Hill can't run an offense because he can, but. Ben's the, the hub for all assists, and we're not seeing that as much from him this year. So I would say the assist numbers being where they are is where I'm more surprised. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat as Noah, where I don't think either stat is super surprising. Turnovers have been a problem, frankly, a much worse problem for this team in the past. I think they've gotten better, as you said, Noah, with Joel improving his ability to handle double teams and et cetera. His, his turnover percentage being lower is really big. But this half-court offense still has its moments where they, you know, kind of stumble into a slump and can't really move the ball or create shots off the dribble like they need to. Bede has gotten better at handling double teams. He has certainly not rectified that problem entirely. He still has his issues. Defenses can still collapse on him and give him trouble. So I I do think turnovers are something to watch in the playoffs. I I do think that is probably the stat that will impact their postseason success the most. Um, the assist thing, like you said, this it's really just a stylistic thing with all the ISOs they have for Joel and Tobias and so forth. Like Ben, one, one guy isn't going to single-handedly uplift your team's assist numbers. Um, I'm, I'm not really worried about Ben's personal assist numbers. I think he's going to be fine. So I, I, I would definitely just kind of side with you Noah I I I don't think either stat is super surprising but I I guess the assist if I had to pick one would be my my pick but neither is like shocking to me and and I'm going to change it up a little bit for this one I'm going to ask you which stat is more impressive to you the Sixers being second in the league in steals at 9.1 per game or second in the league in blocks at 6.5 per game yeah both very impressive it feeds into that number I mentioned earlier, number three in opponent's turnover percentage. I think you could probably see some of that improvement coming when they picked up Danny Green and then when Matisse Thibel sort of hit his defensive stride, um, you know, this season. 
Uh, I think the blocks are impressive. We talked earlier about Fiebel, these rear view blocks and all these jumpers that he swats. Uh, I will. Ha- I believe uh, that him and Robert Covington are the only players in the league with at least 70 steals and 70 blocks. So he's this unique prototype of player um, who was he was just excellent at being disruptive and causing chaos and and all of that. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess the shot blocking the shot blocking is impressive. Ben Simmons doesn't have quite as many steals, but obviously has been tremendous defensively and is a legitimate um, defensive player of the year candidate because of the consistently great work he's done on opposing stars. Uh, and I think the Danny Green addition was very helpful uh, contributing to the Sixers doing a very good job at, at forcing turnovers. This is someone who throughout his career has always been well above league average and stealing block rates, and he's uh, sustained that. Um, at 33 years old, uh, which is great for this team. Uh, so yeah, I think almost the fact that they are so high in both those categories, you know, might be the most impressive thing to me. Um, it's not just that this team, um, you know, gets a ton of steals or gets a ton of blocks. They they do both, and it's really essential to their success on both ends of the floor because it feeds uh, their transition offense, uh, which is essential for them. So for me, it's I. I'm gonna say that I'm not. I'm not surprised by either because I think going into the season, we knew how impress you know defensively dominant they could be, and they fulfilled that this year. So I'm not surprised by either. Thibault is a block and steal machine. Ben Simmons, despite having lower numbers than he has in the past, is still really good at you know picking people's pockets. Corkmoss has stepped up his game, you know, steals wise. Danny Green's a good shot blocker at his position and solid steal guy still. Uh, Shake Milton's getting better at picking pockets a little bit. Uh, Joel Embiid's still an interior force. Dwight Howard is still blo- Dwight Howard is a much better shot blocker than Al Horford ever was. Let's be clear. So, yeah, I'm not surprised by either number just based on the personnel. Be so. careful, Lucas. You might offend Chris. With oh, I don't. I Al think Horford Chris. I, th- I, I, you know, I, I think Chris understands that <laughs> Al Horford was never a shot blocker. Is that is that fair to say? Be ball, Chris. I'll, I'll allow it. I, I agree with both of you. I don't think it's particularly surprising, and I do think it is extremely impressive. I, I mean, the Sixers have one of the more intimidating all around defenses in the league. Their transition defense has been a bit of an issue off and on, but overall. You have three very deserving all-defensive contenders in Embiid, Ben, and Thibel. As you mentioned, Noah, Danny Green is quite the pickpocket himself and can still play some really solid wing defense. You have guys like George Hill now and Dwight Howard who can provide value in different spots. I think Hill is much more versatile and malleable to different matchups than Dwight is. But there's just a lot of really solid defense on this team, Um, and they can cover a lot of ground. Matisse has been one of the most individually impactful wing defenders like in recent history. Obviously, he's only playing 20 minutes a night, but what he's been doing with that 20 minutes a night is pretty remarkable. A lot of people will say that Ben is defensive player of the year. I know Uriah and, and Lucas are firmly on that train. So when it comes time for them to play playoff basketball, getting stops and disrupting opposing offense, this is going to be pretty important. And there aren't many, if any teams that are better in that aspect than the Sixers. So I, I, I do think it's a very impressive and a very important couple of statistics. Absolutely. Yeah. Just to quickly amend uh, that Robert Covington, to Stiebel note, Giannis is also in that company uh, recently got there to 70 steals and 70 blocks in the last few days, but of course, Matisse Thibel has many hundreds, uh, fewer minutes this season than Robert Covington and Giannis. And uh, as you said, Chris, has, is historically great at uh, creating creating havoc defensively. And, and this next category, I'm going to ask which that worries you the most. Um, the Sixers being 19th in the league in free throw percentage at 76% per game or 26th in the league in three-point attempts per game at roughly 30? Yeah, I think the answer there to me would pretty clearly be the three-point attempts, the low-volume 
has been a bit of an issue at times throughout this season where they play these games uh, in which there's a huge disparity, you know, in, in three-point attempts. Uh, the Indiana game even being a recent good example where I believe the Pacers took 15 more threes. And it is noticeable at times that players like Seth Curry and Tobias Harris are passing up open looks or are just not as aggressive at firing away as the Sixers frankly need them to be. Uh, So I think that probably does qualify as a minor concern And Curry, obviously, when he shoots, is excellent. I think he's still around 44%, right about his career average, um, despite some of the ups and downs he's experienced this year with having COVID-19 and some minor injury issues and some of the conditioning challenges that he's faced. uh, He's still a great shooter, and when he's open, the Sixers need him to shoot the ball. Uh, And I think the the same is true Uh, with Tobias Harris, and I think just in general, when Joel Embiid is off the floor, uh, the Sixers look their best when Ben Simmons is playing fast, running the show, driving, and kicking to three-point shooters, and when those shooters um, are actually, you know, pulling the trigger um, when they do have good looks. So I think, um, yeah, the the free-throw percentage, to me, that's not something that's too concerning, I guess. Ben Simmons stands out as a weaker free throw shooter, and it is possible that he's asked to take uh, free throws in a, in a close game. And it is, I guess, disappointing um, that he hasn't made progress in that area um, this season. But the fact of the matter is the Sixers are number one this year in free throw rate after being number 20 uh, last season, which is a, a massive improvement. Um, and it's been a positive that Simmons and Tobias Harris are getting to the line more. Um, and of course, Joel Embiid uh, is by far the best in the NBA at drawing free throws. And he um, is very good at making them, you know, when he does get to the line. Um, so I sure, I guess the notion of Ben Simmons is in the lo- at the line in a close game. Do you feel confident that he'll knock two down? Probably not. Um, but as far as the big picture, uh, the fact that the Sixers are bottom five in three-point volume, um, that's not great uh, heading into the playoffs. And um, I think that they'll probably be better served uh, in the postseason um, if Seth Curry, Tobias Harris are a bit um, less reluctant to shoot from long range. No, you made a lot of great points. So I don't want to take too much time on this, but I will say this. Free throw percentage-wise, is not just Ben. It's actually Dwight Howard, too, who's never been a good free throw shooter. Matisse Thibel's not great at the line. So you have a – it's not just Ben. And I honestly think Ben has regressed on his attempts per uh, game from the foul line since the All-Star break, which Uri has a big theory on, and we're not going to get into it tonight tonight because uh, – well, I mean, Uri, if you really want to, you can chime in. What? What did you say? You know, you know, Ben's lack of aggression since the All-Star game, you know, you have a little theory on that. Don't get me stuck. (laughs) I won't. I won't. But um, three-point attempts per game, not thrilled about. But last year, that was kind of the same case, too, where they were bottom of the league in three-point, you know, shots per game. So I'm not – am I concerned? Yes, but you got – like you said again – it comes back to the fact that Seth Curry and Tobias Harris aren't willing to always launch it from threes or, and that's just something that they don't feel comfortable doing. You know, I've, I've been a proponent of Seth Curry needs to act like, and Chris wrote about it early in the season that Seth Curry needs to act like the best shooter on the team and in the NBA. Cause he is, he just has to be willing to let them fly more. Same thing with Tobias. He's shooting above 40% from the three point line this season. Just got to let him fly. Um, I will say this, they can remedy this in the future, probably not this year, but in the future by having more minutes for Korkmaz and Isaiah Joe, because those guys have no fear of letting it th- fly from three, especially Joe. Um, so I think that's drafting more players and getting more players like Joe and Korkmaz as three-point shooters. That's one way to remedy that. But I believe they do have a decent three-point percentage, so that kind of helps offset it a little bit. But um, 
I'm yeah. concerned about both. Yeah, I'm I'm certainly more concerned about the three point attempts. I think it's become somewhat of a ritual each season to complain about the lack of three point volume with this team. Um obviously this year there's less of an excuse because they have genuinely great shooters all over the place. You know, Danny Green, Seth Curry, Quark Maz, I think Shake is much better than his numbers this season would suggest. Now that George Hill's getting rammed back up again, I would expect his threes to start falling more frequently. Like there, there's plenty of good shooting on this team. Tobias too, obviously. So th- there's really no excuse to be 26th in the league in three-point attempts. That's just poor execution, poor decision-making. Um, I, I do think Tobias particularly was a much more confident, quick-trigger shooter earlier in the season than he has been post-All-Star break. I, th- I hope that's something he gets back to the free throw percentage, like like I'd be more worried, frankly, about volume than percentage there as well. Like if Ben is getting to the line ten times a game, it, it, even if he's only hitting five of those, that that's five free points. That's a point per possession. That's that's a really great use of offense. So I, I would like it if guys like Ben and Tobias were more aggressive in drawing fouls and getting into the paint and and kind of forcing the defense to to collapse on him, but. I, I certainly think three-point attempts, like you said, Noah, is, is the pretty clear, uh, more worrying statistic here. For the Sixer Sense podcast, we had a poll question that we posted the other day, and it was a pretty simple one, and it was comparing the careers of Russell Westbrook, who just recently broke the all-time leader record for triple-doubles, and Allen Iverson. Here are the numbers. We had almost 400 votes. Based on those two players, 72% of Sixers Sense followers said that Allen Iverson had a better career. So let's go Noah's way and, and let's get his opinion on who had the overall better career. 72% is actually a little less than I would expect, uh, given your audience. I think that's a credit to Russell Westbrook. Uh, some of his accomplishments and just the sheer volume of statistics he's amassed are kind of overwhelming. I don't want to cop out of the question, but I will just note that Russell Westbrook is still, I believe, only 32 years old. Uh, So he has some time left to do some impressive things and put up some impressive numbers uh, for the remainder of his career. I think uh, both players had very special peaks. I'd probably give Allen Iverson in advantage just in terms of the prime of his career and him being a one-man offensive machine. I think there are some really intriguing similarities between the two just in terms of neither being the most efficient, uh, both guys being notorious for their competitiveness and uh, just some of the numbers that they were able to put up. Um, despite maybe not always being able to get their team, you know, over the hump in, in playoff settings. I think, you know, Allen Iverson, uh, he, he's someone where he, he just had such an immense cultural impact and everyone who loved, everyone who watched him play uh, loved him and felt, felt a connection with him. Um, and that's something you, you can't necessarily quantify. Um, As far as comparing their careers, um, I think probably if Russell Westbrook um, finishes his career strong, he has a real chance at being able to say that he had a better career than Allen Iverson. Um, But I I think uh, his career is not over, so we'll be able to to pass judgment on this sort of conversation a little better uh, once it is. I'll also say it's cool that Allen Iverson is someone who has a ton of respect for the guys in the modern game. I know he, you know, has, has congratulated Westbrook and um, just has a lot of admiration for the current stars. So I don't think he would mind at all that this is a topic uh, that folks are debating. I'm going to read off some, some uh, you know, awards that both players have had. Allen Everson has had, ele- had 11 all-star appearances. Westbrook had nine, has had nine thus far. Scoring championships, Iverson has four, Westbrook has two. Westbrook has had two assist championships, but Iverson has had three three stealing champions, steals championships. Westbrook has made nine All-NBA teams, Iverson only seven. Both were all-rookie team, 
and Iverson won the uh, Rookie of the Year award. Both have one MVP and two All-Star MVPs. That being said, I will say this. In terms of accolades and overall stats, Westbrook has had the better career. However, if I'm asked who the better player was, I will say Allen Iverson. Westbrook has had multiple time, you know, all-time great teammates like James Harden twice, Kevin Durant, and even Bradley Beal to a lesser extent. No offense against Beal. Beal's on his way. Iverson had nobody and got to the NBA Finals. Westbrook had a loaded team. Granted, they were young, but they were a loaded team. The better player was Allen Iverson. But if we're looking purely at stats, it's going to be Russell Westbrook. Yeah, I I think both of you make some really strong points. Um, Obviously, I'm coming at it from a somewhat unique position in that I'm fairly young. I did not get to experience Iverson's career like I have been able to experience Westbrook's career. Um, I think both of them are extremely interesting, both very energetic and passionate players, as you said, Noah. Uh, Iverson obviously had one of the biggest impacts on like the broader NBA culture of, of any player. And I, I, like you said, that's very hard to quantify accolades wise. I, I think Westbrook, especially if you put a lot of stock into breaking Oscar's triple double record, which it's very fair if you do accolades wise, it's very easy to, you know, point to Russ. I, I, I do think Iverson had the better peak or, or was at least the better player at his peak. Uh, like you said, Lucas, he pretty much carried a team to to the NBA Finals. I, I don't think you can say the same for Russ. Russ has had some pretty notable postseason struggles, um, especially recently. Uh, the book is not closed, though, on Russ, as you said, Noah. I, I do think he's kind of on the downturn at this point. I don't think he's he's certainly not getting better. Uh, you know, the first half of this season even was pretty rough. He has obviously turned things around in a big way post-All-Star break and with Washington going on the run that they've gone on, him breaking Oscar's record again, he has certainly added to his legacy this year. But I, I will say we're probably getting to the tail end of Westbrook's truly like productive, positive impact basketball. So it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see where this all stands in five or six years when Westbrook retires or before then. But I, I, I don't know for sure. I think Iverson is where I lean, but... I, I don't have the fullest perspective that, you know, maybe not as full as you two have. So I, I don't know. Look, we all know that Russell Westbrook had the better career simply because he practiced. End of discussion. Practice. He went oh, to practice. Oh, that, that, that pork taste. It just it was the anniversary of a recently. Pork. I know. It, it was also the anniversary of the shot by Kawhi Leonard, which may be depressed. Oh, but I digress. Oh, that's oh. that will get that's for the next podcast. But anyway. So here's the thing, guys. I grew up uh, in the 80s when I fell in love with basketball is when Magic Johnson was playing with the Lakers and he was getting trouble doubles left and right. Uh, I didn't quite obviously see Oscar Robertson, but Magic really just was everything to the NBA, him and Larry Bird. And then I had a chance to see Jason Kidd in his prime, who was a walking triple double himself. So when I think about how challenging it is, for a player to accumulate stats and rebounding, passing, assists, and scoring, it's not easy to do. And I think what separates him from Iverson is the motor and maybe the athleticism that Lucas was talking about. And it's funny that Kobe Bryant said that NBA was lucky that AI wasn't 6'6", which I can concur. But I think statistically, I, I think he had a point, Lucas. He had off the charts numbers and and like Noah said his his career is still going so we can't really judge overall career and I know I'm the biggest homer I think on this podcast because I grew up loving the Sixers still do but I gotta go with Westbrook guys I think what he's been able to do whether no matter who is on his team has been pretty remarkable so I, I have to go with Westbrook so are you saying that he has has had the better career or that he's also the better player I think, oh man, people are going to hate me for this. I think Westbrook is a, is a better player. Something that's interesting for me to think about too is Westbrook, I think 
is judged somewhat harshly in our you know current era of basketball because he's not a good three-point shooter and he takes too many mid-range long two-point shots uh and you think about you know if Allen Iverson was playing today he'd probably be seen uh pretty similarly um because there were you know similar issues there in his quote-unquote shot profile and um, there's certainly more of a tendency nowadays to analyze the game uh, from that kind of perspective of how efficient are you and are you taking shots, you know, at the rim and are you um, are you a, a you know above average three point shooter and uh, neither of these guys checked either of those boxes, but um, despite that, obviously were extremely valuable and extremely good players. So it's just sort of interesting for me to think about, and I think Russell Westbrook too. Uh, has a bit of that stubborn streak that Allen Iverson was known for. Uh, sure, he's he's someone who who practices, but um, just he hasn't really changed the way he played and adapted to uh, some of those modern analytical trends the way some folks might have wanted him to do. But again, despite that, um, if you play with him, you you love that he brings it every night. Uh, you love what he does as far as scoring, passing, and rebounding, um, and you appreciate that he's he's a Hall of Fame uh, player. So, yeah, definitely um, two, two unique players and, and two comparable players in many ways. Great points from everyone, and I think that about wraps up our podcast. So, Noah, thanks again for, for coming on and talking sectors with us. And if you just want to tell the listeners where they can read your work, where they can follow you on social media, uh, you know, have at it. Yeah, thanks so much again for having me on, guys. Um, yeah, you can read read my work at uh, NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at just at Noah Levick. Uh, yeah, thanks again, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we really appreciate you coming on, and we hope to have you on uh, again in the future. And to all our listeners, again, thank you so much for tuning in and giving us the time of week to talk Sixers. Um, wherever you are listening itunes spotify please you know leave a review leave a comment let us know how we're doing thanks everyone we'll we'll talk to you all again later this week at parker our purpose is simple we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.